Hello and welcome to Communities Forward. I'm your host, Terrell Carter. Communities Forward seeks to share the stories and experiences of people who are making a positive impact within their communities and neighborhoods, especially in the St. Louis metropolitan area. The Communities Forward podcast is brought to you by RISE Community Development. And you can learn more about RISE and how we make stronger, healthier, and more equitable neighborhoods and communities at www.risestl.org www.risestl.org. Today's podcast interview was with Alicia Saunier and Jamie Cox. Shout out to Jamie Cox, who was a part of our Young Professionals Board and is also a board member for RISE Community Development. They are the host of the Black Tea Podcast. Black Tea is an audio and visual media organization founded in St. Louis, Missouri by two young Black women that aims to raise political, social, and cultural awareness while engaging communities in a conversational and entertaining way. One of the goals of the Black Tea Podcast is also to educate and empower listeners in as many ways as possible and to help listeners understand how policies and politics are interwoven into our daily lives. Black Tea hopes to normalize discussions around politics, political engagement, and critical thinking. Today's interview is part one of a two-part interview, and in today's episode, Alicia and Jamie detail the history of Black Tea's creation, their personal journeys to impact the communities that they work in, and they discuss the difference between protest and organizing, and the importance of both, and how we can try to have an open conversation about things that we disagree about. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. It was exciting to record. Hello and welcome to Communities Forward. Uh, Today is a really interesting episode. I am uh, happy to have two special guests. Uh, Alicia Saunier and Jamie Cox. Did I pronounce your last right uh, name correctly, Alicia? Yes, you did. And Jamie, you are a vet at, at this. And uh, Alicia, this is my first time meeting you, but Jamie, uh, we have a relationship already. You are on the board for uh, Rice Community Development, where I serve as president and executive director, but you're also in charge of the Rise Young Professionals Board as well, correct? Yep, yep that's right. Thank you for being on. So the first thing I'd like to do is to try to make sure our listeners understand something about our guests. So however you would like to do this, tell our listeners a little bit more about each of you. Like, again, are you from St. Louis or where are you from? What do you do professionally? Um, just some things like that. Sure. Do you want to kick it off, Alicia? Okay, um, sure. So I'm Alicia Sanye, like you just said. Um, Jamie and I have been best friends since high school. Um, so we go way back almost to the sandbox. Um, (laughs) I am born and raised in St. Louis. So I, I grew up here. Um, I went to school here. I ended up graduating from undergrad from the university of Missouri, St. Louis. Um, I studied psychology, biology, and African-American studies. Um, I work now as a mental health advocate. I also start school, um, so I'm going to nursing school starting August 23rd, very soon. Um, I'm on the Board of Education for the city of St. Louis, and Jamie and I have um, a show together, a media organization called Black Tea um, that aims to raise the political, social, and cultural consciousness um, while engaging audiences in an entertaining and conversational way. 
Um, I was a really big activist, um, which is how a lot of people in the community know me following the murder of, of Michael Brown. And so I'm just someone who was born and raised here in St. Louis who believes strongly in people power um, and in using whatever avenue, including policy, um, education, media, whatever it takes so that we can be aware and move closer towards liberation. Wow, thank you for that. So Jamie, I'm gonna give you a second to introduce yourself, but you just used the word, Alicia, that is very important, that word liberation. So don't think you get to walk away from this and not explain what liberation means. So let's give Jamie a few minutes to introduce herself and then let's get back to the meaning of that word liberation. Yeah, sure, thanks Terrell. Um, so I am Jamie Cox, I am also born and raised here in St. Louis. I grew up in University City. And as Alicia mentioned, uh, we know each other because we were high school classmates. I went to a Carter Ritter College Prep for high school for all the native St. Louis people that are curious. <laughs> After uh, high school, I actually went out of state for college. I did my undergrad at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, where I studied urban policy and development. So. That explains a little bit about why I'm interested in, in working with RISE, but that's my background. And, and after undergrad, I actually went overseas for, a, for my master's degree. I did the Shoresman Scholars Program, which is a master's program uh, based out of Beijing, China. So I was living overseas for a while. And then I moved back to St. Louis in 2019, um, where I started my professional career working in real estate development. So now I work in real estate and financial development professionally. Outside of that, as Terrell already mentioned, I am the chair of the Rising Professionals Board. Um, I've been on the board for about two years and been chair for one year. Um, so that's how we've been connected. And also outside of that, I co-host Black Tea with Alicia. Um, and I guess I can give a little bit of more of a background about Black Tea. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but like she said, we're an audiovisual podcast um, that we actually started um, kind of in the midst of the pandemic. It was kind of our passion project that just really blossomed and bloomed. And we're also sponsored by the Divided City Initiative um, out of Washington University as well. So that's just kind of how we got kicked off with that. But that's what I do. Thank you both so much. And I want to just not even clarify, that's not the right word, but uh, you two are both young Black women, young mm -hmm. uh, African-American women. Uh, and I say that because our listeners on the Communities Forward podcast can't see you. Um, but I think that's important for us to, to mention that. Um, so we're going to get back to the liberation question in just a second, Alicia. I want to ask uh, Jamie, so Beijing, China, what yeah. was that like as a young Black woman, and again, I'm not trying to put your ages out there, and I don't say that disrespectfully, uh, but a young Black woman who was working on her graduate degree, what, did that, what was that like to be in Beijing, China? It was it was very interesting for me. Um, so to give everybody a little context, I, I'd always had an interest in China. Chinese was my minor um, language in undergrad. And so I'd studied Chinese. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to spend more time in the country just to to practice my language. But it was a really interesting experience um, to, to your point, being young, being black, being in a country where um, a lot of people just aren't exposed to people of different different races and ethnicities and backgrounds in general because it's a very homogenous uh, country. And so that was something that I think really pushed me out of my comfort zone, um, being in a place, um, even in, in the United States, you know, 
uh, we are considered to be Black people minorities. Um, but being in a place where you are a true minority as you may go a couple of days without seeing another person that looks and sounds like and speaks the same language as you. Um, so it was definitely, definitely an eye-opening experience for me to kind of be out of, really out of my comfort zone and, and also pushing the boundaries of what my comfort zone even is as I had understood it up to that point. So yeah, it was great, but I had a great time. I learned a lot, ate a lot of great food. Um, and, and, and I'm really grateful that that's something I got to do in my life. Thank you. So I'm gonna ask one more question just specifically about this. So I have a radio program that I co-host with another gentleman who actually uh, at a certain point in his life, he made a snap decision and decided to go to Japan. Uh, did not know the language, did not know anything, just decided I'm going because my life is at a very particular place. But he was a white male. And when he got there, there was a, a, a built-in level of respect for him because he was a white male from the United States. Uh, and I imagine that you did not have that kind of built-in respect going to China as a Black woman. Um, so I'm not trying to dig pretty deep, dirty anything. Uh, but how long did it take for people to begin to see you as whoever you are, whoever you were, and to inter and interact with you in a way that uh, helps you understand or know that you finally fit in? Is that a, is that a clear enough question? Oh, yeah, I, I, I definitely get where you're going with that. And, and you're absolutely right that that experience is different just because there are, you know, the, the global standards that that we have in society and the definitions of, you know, whiteness to people of color, it, it spans, you know, definitely things outside of the United States. So the, the same sort of um, I, I won't say purely discriminatory, but the same sort of biases that you would face here, you also face there being different between a white man and a black woman. So that's definitely something I um, I had to grapple with. I'll, I'll tell a quick anecdotal story because I think this is important context. I, I went to school in Beijing, which is the capital. And so there people are a lot more exposed, a lot more um, accustomed to seeing students from a variety of country coming to live in the live in the country for a while. Um, if you go about five hours outside of Beijing, that's not the case. And, and I did, because I like to explore. Um, and, and there was one town that I was in uh, that I went with a couple of my friends who were all Asian American, but um, Asian outwardly speaking. And so um, when I was walking around in the area, people were taking pictures of me and asking my friends because they assumed I didn't speak Chinese to take pictures of me and I can understand what they're saying um, and, and things like that. And so <laughs> I think that's, um, I tell that story uh, and, and I was you know willing um, because I, I recognize that you know for a lot of people, it's not coming from a place of hatred, it's coming from a place of unknowing. And um, I wanted to be, you know, a positive first experience if I am their first experience of someone who is who is black um, of the diaspora, outwardly speaking, um, with them. So, yeah, I, I think my experience is definitely different than a lot of people, um, especially now in today's age. A lot of Asian people are used to seeing white people either in person or in the movies, but may not be used to seeing black people. So. Um, yeah, that's something that I faced, but uh, I wasn't necessarily too uncomfortable with um, just because I, you know, I was able to sympathize with maybe why they acted that way. How, how huge was the shock, level of shock when they heard you speak as Mandarin, correct? Mm -hmm. How level of how huge or how large was the level of shock the first time they heard you speak Mandarin or go, wait a minute, I can understand what you're saying, ma'am, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I wish I could describe the look on the faces because it was priceless. It was yeah. 
absolutely priceless. And I, I, so I've traveled overseas a couple of times. It's usually for me to go teach indigenous leaders or to do some consulting like with a religious organization or religious school. But I went to Bucharest, Romania for a week. Same thing happened. I was in a restaurant with a white man and then an indigenous person. And people were gathered outside the restaurant pointing at me like, wait a minute, there goes a black. And I couldn't understand what they were saying, but it became very apparent that like there is a real live black person sitting in that restaurant. And so it, it was just funny. And then another time we went to uh, Myanmar to Burma and it was me and another African-American female. And we were there for a week and probably the fourth, third or fourth day in, uh, we were at a mall or a shopping area and we're walking and all of a sudden a black, another black woman comes around the corner and we all looked at each other like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, wait a minute, we thought we were the only ones and she just, she walked away pretty quickly after that. But anyway, it was just pretty funny. Uh, thank you for those stories. Thank you for sharing that information. Uh, Alicia, so, or either one of you actually, uh, you used the word liberation earlier. That is a jam-packed word. Uh, explain what black tea is and how does liberation play into whatever the purpose is of black tea? So black tea um, came about because there was during, it was in during a pandemic and I think it was during like August of 2020. Um, I was getting ready to, I was actually getting, I was moving. So I was moving to a new apartment, but I had like a week before my lease was up. So Jamie was kind enough to let me like crash at her place with her for the week while I was in transition. And so like, you know, um, Jamie had just, she had returned to St. Louis recently and it was our first time kind of like sharing space that long. We were both, um, it was a pandemic. So we were both like working from home. We would get up, it was like a sisterhood sleepover all week long. <laughs> we would get up and have Starbucks every day and like, what are we having for dinner tonight? Um, and it was just really interesting to see the differences between like those sleepovers versus the ones that we had in, in high school. Um, but What's really interesting about um, me and Jamie's relationship was even when we went to college, so everything happened with Michael Brown in 2014. Um, and I got very highly involved. I co-founded an organization called Tribex. I did some of the first die-ins of the movement. Um, I led an occupation on at St. Louis University's campus with 2000 members that led to them signing the clock tower reports um, and just really started thinking about I think at Cardinal Ritter, you what's interesting about going to a black private high school is that actually you have classes towards leadership that are basically like African American studies, where you really begin to think about your place in America as a as a black person, and then I think for us as a black woman and what that means. And so um, when I went to when when actually um, the first night that everything happened with Michael Brown. Um, I saw it on the news and I had texted Jamie and two other friends of ours. And I just said like, hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but like I see these pictures on, on Twitter and I, I thought they were from the civil rights movement because it was like white officers and, and um, you know, black communities and, and dogs and the whole nine. But then I saw his mom um, and I saw her just heartbroken and heartfelt and, and like crying. And this is before we even knew Michael Brown's name, before we knew um, Darren Wilson's name. And I, I didn't know what else to do. So I, I said, you know, Jamie, maybe we can just like go down and be present. And at the time his mom was asking for a visual. So we went and we um, got candles with our two other friends and we went down there. And that was the night that changed the world that everyone 
everyone saw. Um, and so um, Jamie left a little earlier. We went down and when we got there, people were leaving and we didn't really like understand why people were, were leaving. And so we left, but I ended up um, going back later on that night and just seeing a police um, honestly brutalized a community in a way that I'd never seen before up close. And I was just very confused by it all, which sparked me being engaged. And so Jamie would come back like on school breaks, like there's pictures of us. And I just screenshotted one, we probably would post it to Black Tea where she would literally come back on school break. And I'd be like, hey girl, um, so I'm shutting them all down tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you should you should come. And like she, there's some pictures where she she would like, be one of the be one of the leaders because obviously in a protest and especially at the climate at that time um, you want to keep people safe and I think for that action there was a couple hundred people so Jamie was like okay I'm I'm down like I'm here and so she um, she led a group um, at the, and brought them in through a certain intersection through the mall because we kind of had them come through different entrances and meet up at a point and that's kind of been I mean even in high school she um, there's an organization called University City Youth Society that was you know really aimed at kind of showing youth in a positive way and also to kind of resist some of the gun violence that you see when you might go to a private school and your peers might go to public school and you start seeing y'all's outcomes being being different and we did that together and so we just kind of like throughout our lives you know we, we had we we both shared this like sense of like community and a sense of of concern and often found ourselves in leadership position. And so that week that I stayed with Jamie, now mind you, you know, we did that together in high school. Some of this stuff was in 2014 when she was leaving, when she would come back, but even throughout school when she would come back, you know, she would just come to things that I would do and I was still here. So I was very much plugged in. Um, but I would hear like, obviously I knew that she was going to China. I knew about the different things that she was doing as well. And so that week that I stayed with her, um, we, it was the week where there was a race and it was the race um, where Cori Bush was running um, as well as Megan Green was running. Um, and so I was like, you know, we should go to, um, I knew, I know both of them. And so I was like, you know, we should go to their, their uh, with those, uh, the watch parties. We should go to the election watch parties. And so we decided to go to the election watch party and we're spending a whole week together. And I'm just like, realizing like while we're talking thinking of all the things that 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 we have done and thinking of you know we're you mentioned our age we're 25 um at that point I think we were 24 and just realizing like and I think something that we've both known for a long time since high school is like we have always very much kind of been the type of folks to be in leadership and um, have always been intentional about including community in it. And what's very interesting about like our going to college and our collegiate paths is um, I think like I did it from a very like grassroots perspective, a crash course in grassroots. And I studied psychology and, you know, I'm going back to hopefully be a psychiatric nurse practitioner and mental health. But then Jamie is like real estate development and it's like going to China to get her master's and um, is, in, you know, just so it was like we were both highly involved, but we saw them take different paths, but it kind of plugged us into different groups and, and different circles and realizing like how important it is that there's a collaboration there. And so we went to 
um, Cori Bush's election watch party. And this is before she was the Cori Bush that we all kind of know her as now. I've known her since 2014. But I remember Jamie and I having a conversation and I was just expressing to her like how excited I felt because I saw the difference between Cori's first campaign and that campaign and like people being so much more aware of her name. And I got to see the process of her putting the work in. I got to help and, and volunteer and, you know, be in relationship with her and talk about her personal experiences. Same thing for Megan Green. So very much feeling like the movement was growing and um, Jamie being also feeling excited about that and excited to go to the watch party and us sharing that experience together. And so I was like, you know, Jamie, um, you know, my first year out of college, I kind of just worked as a mental health advocate at my job and getting familiar, learning like, you know, how to do assessments, risk of harm and getting immersed in that. But I kind of missed that community perspective that was so strong when I was an undergrad. And so I was like, you know, I kind of have this idea, like I want to, um, maybe start a show or something, because I feel like a lot of the spaces that we're in, so many of our peers are not, and I don't want to be the only one. And I also feel like a lot of the times it's the same groups of people having these conversations about, you know, politics and what's going on in their community and awareness. And I feel like it's intentional. Like, I feel like it's very boring. A lot of times it's very unengaging or like what happens when you're a part of a field or an industry is you use jargon that's something that's unacceptable to people who are not in that field. And so Jamie was like, yeah, you should. Like, that's a great idea, you should. So I told her that. And then like the next day, I remember she like woke up and we like logging in to start for work. You know, we have our refreshers, our Starbucks. And she's like, hey, here's this grant. Like, here's this grant, you should do it. You should apply for this grant to get your star show started. And I'm kind of looking like, hmm, a grant for a show? So I read through it and it's the Divided City Grant application. It's due in like uh, two or three weeks. All I have is like this idea that's very like, unpolished that I had for a while but didn't know how to do it so I, I looked over it then at the end of our work day that day we placed an order from a for soul food from a from a black owned business shout out to gourmet soul and I'm like you know Jamie you're right this is a good idea we should do this <laughs> and Jamie's like yeah yeah you should and I said no, no, no. we we should do this and she was like huh and I'm like yeah like you know I think you what what we know like like I said, like our paths are so interesting and they're very unique and individualistic, but they have like a, a common core. And I think a lot of the information that I might not know, or I might, you know, my, my expertise is completely different from yours, but that's needed. We even have different perspectives on things. We could probably touch like a, a, a broader audience. And, and I think the fact that we are two young black women who are engaged in our community, who are in these spaces, right? I mean, there's not like, it's not like it's common for someone to have, like, I think by that time I had co-founded three organizations. I had been across the country. It was in documentaries. It was in books. It was in the New York times um and i was still doing work in, in at high levels and i think like jamie going getting to go to china even what she studied urban development and, and finance like just seeing like these are we're in spaces and we're doing things that necessarily our peers aren't so this show is a way for us to bring our community along with us literally and, and educate them and so you know she had to think about it for the 10 minutes that I gave her. And then it was like, okay, let's get to work. And I was like, you know what? Coincidentally, a couple months ago, I ordered a podcast starter kit <laughs> off Amazon. Cause at the end of 2019, I was like, I'm just gonna manifest this. I don't know when I'm gonna use it, but I'm gonna get it and keep it in my closet. And so we shot the demo and we, um, talked about talked about the idea talked about what it was even our logo it's like two black women with natural hair kind of out facing each other and it's tea coming up because i think what's really important for us we like you know we want to engage people and engage folks we want them to know like 
we don't think this is cool just because we're nerds. We think this is cool because it's juicy. Like if you follow politics, there is some good tea in this, okay? And so we yeah. present it to our community where it's two sister girls having a good conversation, a good key key, but about very relevant things that you should know. And we have the ability to break it down from you. And sometimes from an internal perspective, like that can be such an asset. And so- Let me, let me interrupt for just a second and ask a question. So how, because both of you are so professional or involved in such professional worlds, how has the professional world responded to what you two are doing? So um, you've talked about the basis of this or the foundation of this has been, you know, what happened with Michael Brown. And I think that many of us responded in particular ways. So like my best-selling book or my most impactful book was begun because of what happened with Michael Brown, but not just because of Michael Brown, but because of how um, so I'm a Christian, doesn't matter. The bigger point though is, is the world that I operate in, that I write for is to challenge Christians to see everybody as equal. And when Michael Brown happened uh, in the world that I operate in, there were a lot of white Christians who were asking me, oh, well, why are so many black people so angry? Why can't black people just do what they're asked to do? Why do they have to fight against the police so often? Why do you always have to make, it's like, wait a minute, you don't even understand the history of what's going on. You only see it from one perspective. And there, there has been a very particular kind of response. So my question again is, how has, how have the people in your world responded to all of this that you all have been doing in light of the professional monikers that you may have or the professional worlds that you already operate in? And that's for either one of you to answer. Uh, I can, I can take that one first, um, Terrell, because I think. So for me, like like Alicia mentioned, uh, one of the reasons why we decided to do this as a partnership was because we come from two very different professional backgrounds as well. With Alicia being, you know, in healthcare and me being in finance, and I think once we started Black Tea and we started putting this out there and putting it out to our network, we realized like, wow, there are a lot of people that um, there are a lot of people that have been craving and wanting something like this, something that is raw and organic, that's targeted toward youth, but actually talking about serious issues that are going on, right? Like to Alicia's point, I think politics is affects everyone's life, whether we pay attention to it on or not. And a lot of people actually don't pay attention to it. Um, and and even if they do, they don't realize the, the layers and how it affects them. So just speaking of my personal experience, right? Like number one, I have um, the relationship that I have through volunteering with RISE, which has led to us doing this collaboration between Black Tea and Communities Forward, right? So I think that's one re very receptive area right there um, to RISE's credit. Um, outside of that, I work with a group of young women um, called Women of uh, Vixens with Vision, which is a women's entrepreneurship uh, startership club, right, for women in finance and business. And so I brought Black Tea to them and I talked about the things that I'm doing and just the outpouring of support that I've gotten um, from listeners that are part of my um, entrepreneurship club to ideas like, hey, the next place you should take this is Cortex. The next place you should take this is um, uh, Venture Cafe, like, and tell people about this and spread the word. I think people are um, very, very uh, willing to willing to support people that once you put out an idea, they'll say, hey, yeah, I'm down to help you. Um, to your point about the nuance of the things that we talk about on the show, I think that's another reason why people have been so receptive and, and so willing to listen to it just because of the things that we're seeing. We started this show, um, Alicia told our story about 
um, our passions forward coming out of the things that have happened with St. Louis and Mike Brown. Um, then you see, you know, we start the show six months later, George Floyd happens, right? Like, we're not just talking about St. Louis politics, we're talking about real things that affect particularly the Black community. And with all the focus that has been put on, especially in the private sector, um, racial equity and, and the racial equity summit that just happened in St. Louis three weeks ago, everybody's starting to talk about what is this idea of equality and, and equity and, and how do you bridge the divided city, right? The grant that we're sponsored by. Um, so a lot of people are asking questions, but they don't know where to get information from. And, and we are wanting to be that source of information for people. And I think that's why people have been so, so responsive. Alicia, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but what, what did you want to say related to this, to, to the question I asked as well? Um, I just think as far as responses, um, I think I've seen a transition in it. Like in 2014, when I started getting very heavily involved, the responses to, to what I was doing sometimes were, I don't even, some were negative, right? But even internally in our community, they might've been negative, but it was coming from a concern of safety or a concern of, will you be able to get a job? Like if someone goes and search your name and it comes up that you're like, yeah, you're on the front of the New York Times or you're an American, but it's like super duper pro-black and in favor of your community, there is a fear that that might lead to you not getting certain professional um, and academic opportunities. Um, and same, you know, and, and safety and all of those things. But then I think what you see, um, over time, like by the time we got to the point where we were doing black tea, that's something that people are 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 open to and are more welcome to. There's more of a, a positive sense of, of reception. I think we've shown over time, like what it means to be a protester and an organizer and that it doesn't mean sometimes what the, what the media was trying to tell you at, in 2014, like, oh, they don't have jobs. They're not in school. They're not anything productive. Some organizers are actually like very key scholars. They're very intelligent. Like they're thinking about policy and they're reimagining and re-envisioning the world that doesn't even exist. Um, and so I feel like I've seen like now with Black Tea, by the time I was doing Black Tea, um, I, it was met with very positive reception. I think the fact that we got the support from WashU was a big sign of that. They had 82 people apply and pick five projects and picked our project out of five. So I think that says a lot about what it is. But I also will say that I think that our level of privilege helps make it something that is more um, digestible for people. So like you might be closed off to a conversation about defunding the police, but if you're having it with, yes, two young black women, but two young black women that have shown to have a certain capacity of, of, of leadership that have this degree and that degree and are still pursuing those accolades, you're people of broader audiences, white, black, all are a lot of times a lot more digestible to those conversations, which is why I think it's important that we are having and we are, we are, are leading them. Thank you, I was gonna thank you for explaining what you meant by level of privilege. I, I wanna ask another question that, I, I, so I'm not assuming that our listeners don't know this, but I wanna make sure that they hear it from your lips. Why protest? Again, I'll, I asked the question because the, uh, the group that I predominantly uh, interact with professionally and you know spiritually, whatever it is, are people who, you know, they would not like the word privilege. They would not consider themselves to be privileged and that they have worked as hard as anyone else, which again, I'm not questioning that, but they don't understand the idea or the need or the, the desire to protest why. And I recognize that you all do more than just protest, but why is protest such an important part of what you all do or what, uh, 
if needed in order to bring light to certain circumstances? So I think um, the way that I like to explain privilege is um, when, when it's kind of a new concept or a new idea to people or someone's being very offensive, like as being someone who identifies with the Christian religion, I think that comes with a certain sense of privilege, right? You don't even think about it. But on Christmas, you often will get the day off of work or you get time to be with your family. You know, a lot of the, the holidays that you, you celebrate are recognized within institutions, uh, educational and otherwise, where you get that time off to be with your family. But if I was a part of a different religion that, that wasn't Christian, then, you know, like Ramadan, for example, like being on the board of education, I think about how we have students that are not eating up from sunup to sundown, but they're in settings that maybe don't acknowledge that all the time, or it's, it's just different. It's, it's, not, it's not recognized the same way in mainstream. And so privilege is not like a matter of, the idea of privilege is that it's something that you can't work for, right? So it's something that you just kind of benefit from throughout your life. Um, and because it's a privilege, you might not think of it. So for a long time, I never really even thought of how being a Christian might impact me until my first year of college, where I had a roommate who actually was very, um, she, she was on my floor and she studied Buddhism and she needed time to go pray at certain times and just different accommodations that she needed for her religion that she had to get extra approvals from or sometimes would get penalized for, but needed to go practice her religion. And for me, I never thought of that because I, yeah, we get Thanksgiving break, we get two weeks off, we get a month off for, for Christmas to go and be with our family. So I never like really considered that until I experienced that. And then as far as the role of protest, I think, um, you know, it's so many things we have in our world. You get 40 hour work weeks in part because of protesting. Protesting is, there's protesting and there's organizing. And organizing means that protesting is a strategy that you use, but there are other strategies that can be used. Like I decided to run for office, right? It's not a protest, but in, in some ways it can be. It's, it's telling you, hey, put this young black girl uh, on a citywide election for the first time running for office to make major vision policy and budget decisions for a district with only over 20,000 of your kids. And I think like it comes from the same, the same place. And sometimes protest is what you do. It's, it can be because you're just angry and it doesn't always have to be strategic. It doesn't have to be, you know, methodology could be in response. But what I found is the longer that I participated and as I made that transition to an organizer, I did start thinking more strategically. Um, and so like, why protest? I think protesting is a way, one, to get people's attention. If we do not have the protest that, that happened in 2014, you might not have your book. We might not have Black Tea. We might not have some of the companies and organizations that we do um, passing policies that like acknowledge Juneteenth as a day off or the Crown Act that's making its way around the country where it's making it okay for you to wear, for African-Americans or people of color to wear their natural hair to work and not face penalization. So protest is often the first, the first- I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting, but our listeners cannot see the look of disappointment on my face and I'm shaking my head that that is still even a thing where Black women, <laughs> cannot go to work, not just black women, but people of whatever descent whose right. hair is not the traditional whatever, still are penalized. And again, there be there's a certain community or segment that I operate in who would not even understand that that is a thing because it's not something that affects them on a daily basis. Right. I'm sorry, I digress and I interrupted. No, but continue. that's actually a great point because you're talking about privilege, right? So if you have a, a a hair, a natural hair pattern that's more Eurocentric, that's more straighter, you might not have ever gotten punished or penalized or even had to think before you go to an interview how should I wear my hair like can I wear braids or can I wear my natural my natural pattern you don't even have to think about that because it's just widely accepted in society 
if you don't though, if you have a kinkier pattern or less Eurocentric pattern, that's something that you might have to think about before you go to an interview or before you go into work. Like, are people gonna ask to touch my hair? Are people gonna, you know, make statements that might be offensive even if they don't mean it? And that's kind of like what privilege is. And it's like, why protest? Well, because in 2021, we are still having a conversation around things like, is it okay for you to wear the pattern that you were born with of your hair to wear that to work? And is that unprofessional? And, and that's not only is it not unprofessional, it doesn't have any indication of what type of person I am or my level of education or my political standing or my economic standing or any of those other things as well. Right. Sure. And I, I want to add one more thing too, before we get off of the, the conversation about protesting, because I think it's something that is important. I'm really glad, Alicia, you told our whole story. Uh, we forget to do that. Um, but it's really important because it explains a lot about kind of why we're doing the things that we're doing now. Um, both of us, like she talked about, like in high school and all the way through college, um, I would come home and, and help her with things she was doing here and also lead things in Nashville as well when I was down there. Um, so protesting is definitely a part of kind of who we are and what got us interested in all the different community advocacy things that we're doing now. But I think it also tells a lot um, because a lot of people think that when they see people out protesting, that that's just the end of the work, that people are asking for change and then they go home. And what we're trying to encourage people to do is, is not that, right? Like it's not just about asking for change and going home. It's about putting yourself in spaces and advocating to be in spaces where change can be made. And I think that's something that throughout our lives now that we're older um, is something that we've dedicated ourselves to as have a lot of people that were doing a lot of the organizing work um, back then in 2014. And so I think I like to refer to myself as a community organizer as well, because there, there is a transition. There's the protest piece, and then there's the community organizing piece, and then there's the government piece or the private sector piece. Um, and I think both of us kind of embody that with Alicia doing the work that she does on the school board and me doing the work that I do in the private sector. Um, and so I think it, it's illustrative and, and the, the show Black Tea and the things that we talk about when we talk about our actual careers and our progression is illustrative of the things that we're trying to encourage the community to do. We're not just talking about this on the show, we're actually living this in our own individual lives, right? And so there's definitely something after protesting. It, it's not a useless tactic. It's one strategy to a whole host of um, how we can make the world a better place, which is all that any of us are trying to do, hopefully in our careers on a given day. I, and I do appreciate uh, the fact that you all are making the distinction between organizing and protesting. What are tactics? What is the umbrella that those tactics fall under as well? Because I don't think that most people know that or recognize that or even understand that. They just see a group of people show up at a mall and inconvenience them and uh, their world goes to kaput because <laughs> I've been inconvenienced uh, so much. Uh, now, I do want to say, like, so I've been asked a couple of times, you know, do I protest? I've never participated in a protest, but I support those who do. And I always use the line from Dr. King where he said, I don't protest, but I support those who do. But more importantly, I have to ask the question, why do they feel like that's the best option? Meaning, why, what has happened or how have we led in the, how have we led or why have we let the system get as bad as it has gotten where people feel like they don't have any other options? Uh, and again, I'm not saying that protesting is not a good option. What I'm saying is we have to, it causes us to ask even bigger questions about the system that we operate in and how it causes us uh, to, to treat people uh, in general. 